Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher with Fletcher Safety Consulting. Welcome to What's the Hazard podcast for safety professionals. Uh, my guest today is uh, a dear friend of mine, a colleague, uh, a safety professional for years and years and years. His name is Mark McClure. Mark, welcome, man. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Glad no, to man, um, you are, you probably don't know this, but you are part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast. You and I have been friends for a long time. We've yeah. been doing this safety thing uh, for a long, long time. And I have benefited incredibly from our conversations. We, you know, we get on a safety subject. Uh, you'll be driving somewhere and you'll call me or I'll be driving across Nebraska. I'll call you or we hook up in a bar somewhere out in western Nebraska and we talk safety. Uh, we've been doing that for years. And I, and I have to tell you that it has made me a better safety professional, man. So, so my, my idea was that why shouldn't everybody be be able to have those conversations. Got, nope, I, I love this idea. I think and this uh, is yeah, like I mean, uh, so in large part, you know, this is a tribute to those conversations that we have shared while driving down the highway, man. Well, good. Um, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Um, yeah, you've been probably doing safety longer than me, and I've been doing it about thirty years. No, I'm not quite up to that yet, but I'm getting close. Get, I, uh, I I started with a company out in California. Uh, got put in charge of of putting a safety program and, and uh, in, into the works, into the field, getting it taught, getting it to live and grow. Uh, went back away from safety, continued to work in construction, uh, and then had an opportunity to work for IMS Pet Food. Oh, yeah, yeah. And became a, a site safety manager. Then IMS became part of Procter & Gamble. I always tell everybody I grew up in safety at Procter & Gamble. Uh, mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful company with wonderful, wonderful programs, uh, tr- truly what world-class is when it comes to a safety effort. Mm-hmm. You would uh, you would see stuff there that you just, you know, honestly, we could get down to one injury a year at a plant, and P&G wanted to know why. Absolutely. Even, right. even if we weren't going to solve it, even if it was a, you know, the one-off kind of relationship, they'd still put the resources to it to see why. Right. And, and that made us better safety people. Uh, it helped us a lot. Uh, a company that really went all the way for everything. Uh, I got an opportunity. I wanted to stay living in Nebraska. Um, P&G stood for Pack and Go, if you were a manager, right. Procter & Gamble. And I didn't really want to end up away from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. My, my kids were growing up here, and you know you can put a few caveats on a on a promotion and travel, like, you know, a National League City, uh, somebody with a good college football <laughs> right. program. Right, absolutely. You know, th- that really limits what you can do. So um, had an opportunity to, to get back into the construction side of the business. Um, got a chance to build a coal-fire power plant. I'd always wanted to have an opportunity to build a nuke plant mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, so that was a very interesting job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, High-volume. High uh, two two year project. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, we we had a lot of guys, a lot of things going on. I I learned a lot. I went from there on up the ladder in corporate uh, safety director, and then uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to do something a little bit different. And now I'm just working as a consultant like you. Right. Yeah. So tell me about your company. You are with uh, uh, my company is OSC. We're based out of Des Moines. Um, we we actually I have uh, three partners with me and. Uh, we have about eight of us that do consultation type safety. I specialize in in working with OSHA, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chemistry issues are kind of mine. Uh, right. I spent a lot of time at a chemical plant. That's one of our clients. Uh, and then we have about thirty people that are working as site safety people on large construction mm-hmm. projects around, actually across the United States. Uh, Facebook jobs here at Omaha, Des Moines, projects. Uh, San Antonio, Columbus, Ohio, oh. Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we have some people at the uh, Salt Lake City Airport and at LAX right now on some projects. Uh, Very cool. We have some people down in uh, the Kansas City area on a couple of projects. Um, Iowa City at the university over there and the hospitals over there. So n- number of jobs like that. Uh I provide consultation services, uh, training services, those kind of things. Uh, pretty much the clientele across Nebraska mm-hmm. and Iowa, grain elevators, um, 
always tell everybody my 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 favorite account is I, I'm the safety guy for Adventureland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so awesome. You, you know had that conversation. You know you're kind of at the top of your game when you're when you're the amusement park safety. Guy. Absolutely, the benefits and the perks are pretty. Uh, good. Yeah, that that's it's it's a lot of fun to go to work every yeah. day and 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 see the see that kind of stuff. Well, you you touched on the two things that we're going to talk about today. First, um, I've been kind of struggling with the topic because there's so many things that we could talk about, and you know we've had conversations. Uh, the breadth and depth of the safety conversations we've had are, you know, just all over the board, man. But, but as far as my world goes and, and current events, the thing that I think is important that, and that I want to talk about today is interacting with OSHA and specifically responding to OSHA inquiries. Okay. I've got two clients very recently that have both responded to OSHA inquiries. Not, I'm not talking about on-site inspections. Right. I'm talking about either the rapid response initiative when you are required to contact OSHA, Correct. notify OSHA, uh, and then the response that you get from OSHA having done so. And then what we used to refer to as non-formal uh, investigations, you know, the phone-in facts, is that, that's how we used to refer to them. Right. And so, um, and I know you've had a lot of experience dealing with OSHA. Um, I think that's probably how we first met when I was with OSHA and you were working in Nebraska. Um, but... I just wanted to touch on that subject because there are th certain things that are important to that interaction in order for that to be successful. So just to give you an example, here's two, two examples that I've experienced. Um, one of my clients had an employee uh, sustain an injury and was hospitalized. Uh, and it was, you know, that's always a little bit difficult to decipher whether someone has actually been admitted into the hospital for treatment. But I think there is rationale behind error, erring, erring on the side of conservatism. You know, so we called OSHA, mm -hmm. made notification, and um, they received this rapid response initiative is really just a way for OSHA to triage these calls. So if you're reporting a fatality, an amputation, the hospitalization, or the loss of an eye, they are going to take that information and triage it, evaluate it, and then determine whether or not they're going to send someone out or they're going to conduct basically an electronic investigation. Uh, you know they have you know incredible resource limitations, and so they they don't they can't send people out to every one of those. And so this uh, this exchange of paperwork initially is what's going to help OSHA determine whether they need an on-site presence or not. Right. Yeah. So um, so the thing that came up in this one, my client uh, asked me to review their response. They had received the paperwork from OSHA. And uh, they asked me to review it. And the one thing that I noticed uh, and recommended about their response was just the terminology, the verbiage, the language they were using. It was almost, uh, they were using, you know, adjectives to describe the nature of the incident. And it was almost inflammatory. I was like, man, we got to. We got to call this down a little yeah, bit. Don't, don't don't let them start writing like they're writing for a TV show. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not a narrative. I mean, it probably would be better to provide bullet points. Frankly, if that's going to be the let, case, let, less is always more. There. I think that's exactly right. So they were describing things like this uh, extreme exposure, and uh, uh, you know, this the description of this uh, incident was really uh colorful and i was just like whoa whoa let's 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 whittle this down you want to be honest you always want to be honest and forthcoming but man you do not want to alarm the reader right i i always tell our you know clientele you know the people that i've had to work with in the past you, you know you never want to you never want to not tell the truth you 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 want to make sure that they know exactly what happened and when it happened but we want to do this in the least amount of words possible. It, it makes it easier to go to step number two if there is a step number two. Right, right. And, and and one of the problems I see with people is we speculate. Mm -hmm. We we read that into it. We we conjecture in what we think may right. have occurred. Yeah, that's exactly right. Without knowing full well what occurred. Right. And then uh, just like what you said, way too many adjectives. Or I want to have you feel this is the norm mm -hmm. of how we run and this just happened. Mm -hmm. I, I had a case similar to like what you talked about 
where it involved a horseplay incident, and the the gentleman that had asked for our help in his response to OSHA, he wrote, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As if this is okay. Yes. You know, and this is acceptable. He, you know, he, 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 he basically did not want anybody in trouble. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and I just told him, I said, you're, you're, you're going, you're giving them too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was very convinced that he was right. He, this was just a consult and, uh, and it did, it ended up in triggering ocean deciding to drive yeah. over and see him in person. Well, when, yeah, that is the, the potential consequence, right? In, in both of these, in the rapid response initiative process, or even in a non-formal, if you uh, are either non-responsive, which is a, ho- a horrible idea, you have to respond, or if you are, you know, you're not calming OSHA's concerns, they're going to send someone out. Yeah. It's almost guaranteed. So that the objective here is to um, be clear and concise in your description. I mean, basically, you're providing your own incident investigation findings, and you're providing some type of uh, either short-term and or long-term abatement strategy. Correct, correct. You want OSHA to read that and be comfortable that you've got it under control. Yeah, it's taken care of. And to move on to the next item. And, and another thing is there's going to be things. It's not always a bad thing. Um, I, I'll give you the example. So I had a company that they had a young man worked for him for two weeks. He was hired to work in the shop. He'd got his safety training. He goes to a job site. He'd had a short orientation and he gets involved doing a task, ends up with a pinch finger, mm-hmm. amputation of the tip of the finger. Mm-hmm. The root cause told us that we had a newer employee. He didn't have gloves on. He honestly wasn't supposed to be involved with the task, but he stepped in and was helping. And, you know, he, he was still there to learn. Mm-hmm. So part of the overall, you know, findings were the gloves, these kind of things was he wasn't a very experienced employee. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he wouldn't have grabbed this chain without putting on gloves if he knew more about what he was doing. Right, right. And the feedback was, well, we don't want to tell OSHA that we've got someone out here that isn't trained. They're going to figure that part of it out. Right. They only had to read right. the part about, you know, this is a new employee. Been on board two weeks. Yes. I mean, it, it didn't mm-hmm. matter what, it, you know, we could have said that he had all sorts of training. They're still going to know it's a new employee because he'd been with the company two weeks. Right. And that's asked. That's part of the information they're requesting. Correct. And, and so it didn't hurt that in the root cause finding, we told them we had a new employee. Mm-hmm. You know, that's. That Still had not had all the safety training he needed. Right. But, I mean, he was being accompanied by he, a senior he was person. standing was, next to the superintendent. Yeah. They both jumped in to help with this task, and here's what happened. Mm-hmm. OSHA's going to take that and no one understand what you're talking about. Whereas if you leave all of this stuff out and just, you know, again, we go back to and we look at this first page and they're saying, huh, two weeks he's been there, mm-hmm. and yet you don't mention his training level. Mm-hmm. You don't mention his skill level. You know, right. we're not led to believe that there was a superintendent standing there with him. Right. You're really throwing up more of the red flag by not. You know, at the end of the day, OSHA does enough for this that they are experienced enough to look at it and say, well, why did these guys miss this mm-hmm. in that root cause? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And again, yeah, that's- that may trigger them wanting to come out and know more. Right. And that's exactly right, man. That's, you know, very interesting. But yeah, there's, there's no point in uh, trying to hide things like that. You just, you're, you are basically conveying facts, hopefully, as you said, no conjecture, no speculation, no judgment. You're basically conveying facts that, you know, you've gathered through your investigation and then a strategy for controlling it. Now, you know, there may be a short-term control strategy while the long-term efforts are being put in place. They just want to make sure that the employee, we're not going to have a repeat, right? We're not going to have another incident. The employees are protected and that you've got it under control. I mean, you know. Yes. We, uh, the other one that you see and that I think about is an employee complaint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you get the rapid response on it um, and an injury hasn't occurred yet, then you're just addressing a hazard. Again, don't, don't present this as a one-off. Mm-hmm. You know, if an employee has felt that there's something here to write about, again, 
don't minimize that piece of it. This guy's probably seen this. It's probably been discussed somewhere. Mm -hmm. Someone will remember talking with somebody if they come and ask questions. So again, they, they know this. They realize right. that right. this guy wasn't just mad one day. He's noticed this for a week or something. Right. So just, again, I've seen companies tell me, you know, wow, this just really occurred this one time. Really? Mm -hmm. Then the, the, what was the guy mad about the mm -hmm. day before? Right. Because you just didn't get this way, you know, this is a, That's a this point. is kind of a slow burn that got me to this point. Right. You ignored me, you minimized me, you, you didn't listen to what I told you in the complaint, now I'm taking it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. If your defense to OSHA is, well, we just found out about it, we've never had this before, again, they've done this long enough mm -hmm. that they're going to be concerned with that type of I would response. Agree. No doubt. That's interesting. So um, language, yeah, l language is very critical in how you respond. And I, I would be cautious about using too much description or too right. many, you know, adjectives, adjectives yep. or whatever. Just get to the facts, describe them as you understand them. The other thing that I think is important to consider, a couple other elements, but photographs. So one of my clients, and uh, he's going to know who he is if he listens to this, and I'm, I'm not, it's not a judgment, you know, this is just an observation. But he was responding to a non-formal complaint. So they had, you know, someone in the company had contacted OSHA. It was uh, probably anonymous, I'm assuming, because it was handled non-formally, you know, so the phone and fax process. So they received the information from OSHA that says, hey, this has been brought to our attention. We want you to conduct your internal investigation. Respond back to us within 24 hours, your initial response, and then you have five days, basically, five working days to provide us a complete summary of findings and, and your and your response. So and, and those time frames are important. Um, that initial response, that 24 hour is basically just we've received the complaint and we are investigating it. And we will get back with you. You know, if there's something that you can uh, correct immediately, you can let them know that. But that initial 24 hour response, at least, you know, the the uh, non formals that the Omaha area office conducts. We just want to know that you've got our complaint and you're working it. Um, well, they had prepared a response within that first 24 hours, and it had a number of pictures, uh, and they had included pictures of hazards uh, that they were intending to respond with immediately. And I was like, I'm not really sure I like that idea of sending pictures with hazards because not only was the issue that was a, you know, brought up by the complainant in there, but there were some other issues in there. And believe me, I, you look at enough pictures, you start to see other things beyond what the photographer was intending, perhaps, you know? So, Correct. so my suggestion to them was, Hey man, you know, give them just kind of a written response that we've got the complaint within your, you know, within the 24 hours and we're working it and we're going to make sure the employees are protected. And, uh, then when they sent the final response, they took pictures of the final product. You know, they'd, they'd reinstalled guardrails. They'd fixed a platform. They'd done all those things that was depicted in the picture that they were providing. That Excellent. You know, um, you don't have to take the full five days, but you are entitled to take five days. Right. And they're not going to initiate an on-site activity within that five-day period if right. they've started this non-formal. So take as much time as you need within that allotted time frame to do a good, thorough investigation and, and prepare a package that you're going to send into them that is going to make them feel good about the actions you've taken. Correct. You know? Correct, yep. And don't don't hang yourself with a bunch of pictures of stuff that aren't even pertinent. Right, right. Go a step further, too. Uh, so, again, I had a company with a complaint. And uh, so they went out and they interviewed, like, five other employees. And they had them write statements that basically said, we never see this happen. Mm -hmm. and, and this was a response about be, Greece, Greece being on steps. And these employees all basically wrote, we just never see this happen. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I, I had a little heartache over them submitting this was um, they didn't tell me what they did if something did happen. Mm -hmm. And so these employees never saw it but we know that there's a complaint here that says it does occur. My feeling was, why don't you tell them about your housekeeping mm -hmm. and discuss that rather than like having five employees just 
basically saying, oh, no, this never occurs. Something must occur, and you should have something to address it. No doubt. This is the kind of facility, a food facility, that this could happen in. Mm-hmm. I felt it would be better to give them the housekeeping policy that outlined if something, if spills happened, you know, it was the it was the person that created it's duty to get it cleaned up. Right. And yeah, what is your mechanism for controlling these things? Correct. correct. You're telling me that you've got five people that say, "Oh, this just never happens." We never at this have plant. this happen. Well, right. I'm, uh-huh. I'm reading a housekeeping policy <laughs> right. that actually addresses this. Right. And again, OSHA will look at these kind of things, and you know, again, they're not dummies on this. It's like, well. If it never happens, then how come over here in section two of your housekeeping, paragraphs three and four, tell us about cleaning up spills? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, again, my, my heartache there was just about what was being done. It's great that you've got employees that are so zealous about your safety program, but we still know things happen. Let's right. just show it how it works and talk about that. And, again, is it helping to make our case? Could we just supply... The policy it says, hey, yes, there could have been grease on the steps. This guy's seen it. It says right here, you know, if, if the person that didn't clean it up, you know, didn't clean it up, then the person that finds it should address it. Right. So right. this guy was the, the guy that's making the complaints, probably the guy that should have been cleaning it mm-hmm. up. That's how our program's supposed to work. Exactly. That's and, interesting. you know, we'll, we'll go check. We're going to check the steps and everything and, you know, and We'll, we'll come up with something here for you. There, it, it, there's just ways to keep it easy that right. OSHA is going to get that warm, comfortable feeling you've got it handled. Exactly. That's what we want. Well, and I think, as you just said, I think part of this response needs to include a description of your mechanism for making sure it doesn't happen again. Yes. Uh, other than, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you've read your share of incident investigations, as have I, and when they, when they say something like... Um, the employee made a mistake, and, and our corrective action was to counsel the employee not to make a mistake again. We disciplined the employee because yeah, uh, yeah. he pinched his finger. Right, exactly. You, you know that uh, that's a problem, and, and there's a high likelihood that OSHA is going to visit, visit I, a site like that. So, so we, had a, we had a client earlier this year, and they had a lady that she gets her finger pinched on a safety bar. And we have a program, I actually have taught it myself, about how we do hand placement. And honestly, and you know, there's no reason not to believe her. Um, she's done this a number of times and been very successful. This involves two people getting on a ride where they have to get into the moving car. It's, it's the sky lift above mm-hmm. a park. Mm-hmm. And she puts the safety bar down. Right. Okay, so... People have gotten larger. You got to kind of hold this with two people sliding their butts up onto the seat and then putting the safety bar down. And somehow she got her hand or her left hand is to be on the back of the the ride. Um, it ends up on the right side of the ride near a pinch point. She gets the tip of her finger pinched. I go and I investigate. I'm talking this over with her, and she's just being honest and telling me, Mark, I don't know. I know my hand shouldn't have been there, and I don't know why it was there. I don't know if I was, like, attempting to grab at the right, you know, maybe hold it back a little bit while the person slid in, or if I was going to reach around with my my other hand to, you know, maybe give them a boost, but my hand got in the wrong position. You know, I I don't know. And it's like a three-foot difference. Okay, that's that's it. That's my story. That's what I'm going to tell them. I'm not going to come back and tell them that I'm going to discipline this person. We didn't discipline this person. Right. I can't really counsel this person. She probably helped 500 times that day, mm-hmm. right. successfully right. complete this task. Mm-hmm. This seems to have this one-off. I wasn't there. I don't know. You know, We've had a number of discussions about how we're going to address this ride in the future with some different things. But this wasn't one where I needed to spank, discipline, beat sure. up on her. Right. right. And uh, that was one of the things was when we finished the follow-up, I did get a phone call, and that was one of the questions. Was there any discipline in this case? I'm like, no, we, we saw no reason for it. That, again, is a red flag that OSHA looks for. Mm-hmm. That if you're, if you're just stopping there and not going through your root cause, if, if it's always going to be the employee's problem, 
they're going to see oh, that I think and they're so going to have a problem. No doubt. Absolutely. And that, that's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, that does, I mean, in your response, if, there, if you identify a deficiency perhaps in the original training, you know, maybe we didn't cover something to the extent that we should have. You can, you can do that immediately and, and put that in. I mean, you, you don't have to have the abatement completed, though, within that no. time frame. Right. You can indicate to them that we are planning to do this and we are planning to do that and we've got a capital improvement on the board and it's going to take this, we estimate, this long. But you do have to provide some alternative means of protection in the meantime. Yeah, in the interim, we will be doing this. Right, exactly. And, and that's, that's what they like to see. That, those are the kind of things you may get another follow-up question, maybe a phone mm-hmm. call, but you won't get a site visit right, from it. Right, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. We do not want the compliance officer to come on site. And, uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, no disrespect intended, but uh, the best you can hope for is a neutral outcome if they do come on site. And there is a, not, there's a potential that there can be a, some, something of a negative outcome. So we want to keep them in the office reviewing paperwork if possible. What, one of the things, I just I want to put it in here because I get a lot of the myths of OSHA. Uh, one of the things that I always look at when I go through OSHA research and their numbers and everything, and I, I find that, you know, it, it counters that OSHA's got to have a fine on every inspection. Approximately 23 to 25% of the inspections every year do not result in a citation. Absolutely, mm-hmm. And this is a very steady number. Mm-hmm. I've seen it as high as 27%. I've seen it as low as 21 But that is the range, and I'll go back 15 years, and I can show you yeah, that number. It doesn't fluctuate. It's, it's pretty close to three out of four result in a citation, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. There is a neutral outcome. Absolutely. And, and I think that's one of the numbers that tells me, you know, the system's honest. We're, we're not, you know, nobody's getting picked on, this kind of thing. And... If you're doing it correctly, they will see that you do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't think you know from my experience, um, the rapid response initiative was actually initiated after I left OSHA. Right. But we were doing non-formals. I mean, we did a huge number of non-formals, and we loved non-formals because you don't have the time and resources to go visit every site and conduct an inspection. So, if we could make it work. By using a non-formal, we were all in favor of that. That was terrific. But but you needed something from the employer in order to justify uh, resolving those without an on-site presence. And if the employer wasn't providing the information you needed, you know, I, I wasn't above calling them and prompting them from time to time. But but uh, look, you know, give them what they give them what they need in order to understand that you've got it under control. You brought up earlier about uh, uh, you know hospitalization and when do you make that phone call again i like to err on the side of of the practice being at least i'm going to tell you especially if it gets to the end of the day mm-hmm. um, i have i have called osha at 4 30 to tell them i've got an employee at the hospital and i don't know the outcome mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i'm letting you know now because if this overnight you know we have this situation because it may result in something. I just want to be out ahead of it and be proactive. Right. I've, I've, I've had much better success with that than not making the call at all. Oh, the alternative is worse. I, uh, Definitely. We had, we had a client last year that, in, in their defense, we, we ended up getting the citation dismissed. It led to other citations, though. But they had an employee that was injured. The employee was taken to the hospital. He was actually seen at a critical care clinic, and then transported. He spent about six hours in the emergency room with no treatment. And it was a Sunday, and at 11 o'clock at night, they decided to go ahead and admit him, but they did not initiate any treatment. Mm-hmm. Just observation? Or Just observation. Diagnosis. He, he had a compound fracture of the forearm, mm-hmm. and he was an older gentleman with bones sticking through the skin. So they're, they're monitoring this. And at this point, the only thing that he had had was the first aid. There was no stitches. This thing is just wrapped up, and they're just changing the dressing. They did not put him on any saline, anything like this at this time. The next morning, 
the decision was made he's going to have surgery. At this point, the hospital discharged him and set him up. The surgery was done on an off-site surgery center. Mm-hmm. But he was sent home at this point, and we still had not crossed that line. Yeah, you would not met the criteria yet. Right. But it wasn't federal OSHA, but it was Iowa OSHA. Mm-hmm. They issued a citation that we didn't initiate the phone call within 24 hours of the hospitalization. And my whole thinking was, was I didn't have anything to indicate it had gone beyond mm-hmm. first aid. Right. And we actually had the numbers. We, we had to produce the paperwork. And they had it from their part of the investigation that this phone call should have taken place like the next morning before noon on Monday morning, would have been within the 24 hours. And my whole thing was we that was when he went to the hospital right, on that, Sunday. And that's not when the clock starts ticking, Correct. obviously. But that was how they had that. And they, they did, that, that, that part of the citation was vacated. Good. Um, but again, this would have been one, had I been involved in it quicker, mm-hmm. I would have probably still made the phone call to him on yeah. Sunday. And, and and I'll be honest, I have counseled some of my uh, clients on, uh, you know, you're expected to make a a reasonable effort to obtain this information. Right. I mean, you can't just, you know, stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away. I mean, right. you need to try to either be contacting the hospital or the family, right. or you need to be, you know, de- trying to decipher any type of medical information you're getting to be able to make, to determine whether you need to make the call or not. Yeah. So there have been cases where um, clients of mine and I have called OSHA and just explained to them, this is the situation. We don't know yet if we have an amputation or we don't know yet if we've actually had an admission uh, for treatment. But again, we want you to be aware of this and we will keep you posted. And to their credit, the Omaha area office in particular, but I'm sure most offices, they will work with you under those circumstances. They will, you know... I, I think in this case, and, you know, and, and I'll give kudos to Iowa, I think had the phone call been made, and I wasn't contacted, so we didn't do it. Um, but I, I don't think they would have get, given us that citation because going back to what you said there, Doug, um, I don't, in their mind, we didn't have a reasonable effort to determine what was happening. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that was where they were at was, you know, nobody was at the hospital with this guy. Nobody was asking to look at the paperwork. Nobody was talking to the family. Right. Um, well, that's in- I mean, you, you have to make the effort. Yeah, certainly. yeah. And I, I think that's kind of what resulted out of that. Okay. Um, but these are the kind of things that you get. And, and, you know, sooner or later you're going to have the ones where OSHA does show up. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the I know the waiting system has recently changed, and, and uh, I know there's some different criteria there. Um but there's some things that you need to do if OSHA does initiate an on-site investigation. Oh, no doubt. Or an inspection. And, and uh, I think we should talk about a few of those things, too, here. Okay, man. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, there, there's, there's going to be these days. And, you know, one of the things that I will tell everybody is uh, um, just because OSHA is here, you know, we, we don't need to always think of the best thing that we can do is just stop work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you have a safety process, if the safety process works, let's continue to do our jobs. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that rolling everything up and standing back of the trailer is... That's the best offense, is yeah. having a good safety program, yeah. right? I you mean, know, I know. can tell you, though, uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was a compliance officer, uh, specifically on construction sites, the practice was... When that compliance officer goes into the general's trailer to do the opening conference, disappear. Yep. And I, I can remember coming out of a general's trailer after a 15-minute opening conference and a, a worksite being empty. Yeah. You know, 400 subcontractors gone in a matter of minutes. I mean, it's an exodus unlike anything since the Bible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just remarkable that they can orchestrate a, the complete evacuation of a construction site. I don't think they do that quite so much anymore. Well, I think, I think we've gotten better at, at having a safety program process in place that people are confident that we can just stay here and work. Right. Um, right. Now, having said that, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with 
maybe ramping down some of those high hazard activities that you might I, be I would, engaged I would, in? I don't, I don't want anybody saw cutting silica or right, concrete. Right, exactly. Moment. Yes. Let's, uh, let's not yes. do that. No doubt. Let's, uh, let's continue working. Let's take a look at uh, where we've got guys that are tied off and do they need to be there right now. But, uh, but you know, if we're, if we're still working out of scissor lifts, aerial lifts, Hey, yeah. I, you know, if, we have programs we've been doing this. Well, that should be perfectly and, acceptable. Right, right. I, I completely agree. Right. Um, because there, there are times, and, you know, OSHA can't make you, you know, create a hazard, and OSHA can't make you do something. And, you know, the the saw-cutting concrete, you know, I, I've talked to all my guys about that, my clients. It's like, you know, trust me, OSHA's going to have to get ready to do a mm-hmm. test. When the new standard come out, we were told these guys are leaving the office with the monitors in the back seat and everything and it's like yeah just don't be don't be doing it in front of right. them and they don't have anything right. to test and we'll all be good oh, yeah. uh, but OSHA's going to come on site and <clears throat> I think there's definitely some do's and some don'ts um, my first always make sure happens is uh, make sure you're escorting them mm-hmm. do absolutely not, do not let OSHA wander around by themselves oh no doubt yeah always escorted I, uh, I and, and you know always start with the opening conference and at that opening conference, let's make sure that we set the scope and parameter of the inspection. Well, it is your opportunity. Most people kind of go into this panic state during the opening conference, but good, good companies, good contractors, you know, that's when they really focus in. They want to know why OSHA is on site, what, what the scope is intended to be. And it's an opportunity to negotiate that. Yes. I mean, you really should use that to your advantage rather yes. than just panic and start thinking about what's this going to cost. And yes, you know. So, so I usually like with construction. I'll usually get told what they, you know, if it's a complaint, if they're following up on an injury, whatever it may be, um, and then I get that that kind of blanket statement of the focus for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have any of these tasks, we'd like to see that. Right. Again. You, you need to know and understand. So like electrical, being being that I spent time with an electrical contractor, I'd always get the panic about, oh my, but they're looking for energized electrical. Mm-hmm. The injuries from pulling wire, you know, installing devices is not the one they're concentrating right, exactly. on. That's exactly right. Electro- we, electrocution hazards, man. Correct, correct. Are we doing something that involves something where somebody could become, you know, a shock or an arc flash victim? Mm-hmm. If so... Let's stop that action, or let's control it. Um, we had an inspection one time, and I, I always think about this. Uh, and it was one of the guys out of the Omaha office here, and, and he he stopped at the site because as he was driving by on the highway, he could see guys working on the roof, mm-hmm. and he couldn't tell if they were tied off or not. So now he shows up at this hospital, and it's a GC that we know, and it was it was my company that was there as the mm-hmm. sub on electrical, and. Uh, when it got to my guy, the electrical superintendent, he took got him in front of a bang board there, you know, the temporary power board, and he, you know, name was on it, phone number was on it, and it's locked. And he asked this guy, he said, uh, will you unlock that for me so that I can inspect that? And my guy looked at him and said, sure. Can you tell me that you're a qualified person to be in that box? Mm-hmm. And the inspector looked at him and said, right answer, I'm <laughs> done with you. And that was it. The, the nice. lock was in place to control access Absolutely. by non-qualified people. Mm-hmm. That was, And this guy was non-qualified. Oh, that's perfect. Man. And that was the right answer. And I'm not sure OSHA, at least in the Omaha area office, has anyone that's qualified well, by and definition, that, and certainly not by the GCs. Pr- pretty much what, what he told us. He said, I, I'd have to come get you guys tell me what I'm looking at. Right. So right. that was the right answer. That's fantastic. And he yeah. says, you know, and then he asked those questions. Are you landing anything energized, doing anything with energized work? Nope. Okay, well, I don't think I need to mm-hmm. talk to you anymore. Let's move on. And uh, so so that's kind of, you know, again, you, you, you can panic and be, be afraid, but uh, good craft doing their job, doing it in the right way. Most journeymen know how right. to do that. Well, um, you know, this is a conversation that Ruben and I had. This is 2019, right? I mean... Put together and implement an effective safety program. Exactly. The days of running off the site, those days are gone. You know, I mean, unless you're in the outermost reaches of the state somewhere where OSHA is just a rumor, I mean, 
the reality is this is part of doing business and everything goes much more smoothly. I, I can tell you from my personal experience, I was always impressed when uh, a contractor or a GC or, or a company representative for that matter knew and understood their safety program and could describe it to me as we're walking around. Yep. I was always impressed by that. And man, everything else goes much more smoothly than if you go into this frenetic, panicked, you know. Uh, I had a client that uh, they chose, so they were had a they had a person injured and injured pretty critically, and it involved chemistry and, and work with chemicals. Um, and I'll get into a little bit more of what happened with them, but as they got, the, the job site was inspected. Um, the process was explained about how chemicals were purchased and got places. And if you followed this process, the company had a guaranteed way to mm-hmm. ensure that the SDSs were there and things like this. And this had not happened in this case. So OSHA decides that uh, um, they're going to go look at the shops because they were told that the chemicals were transported from this company's shop. Mm-hmm. And basically, the guy told them, you know, he just took the chemicals off of the shelf there. Uh, and it really wasn't an accountability piece or an accounting okay. piece to, to say that these were, were mm-hmm. moved and now I need to know this SDS has right. got to be with it. So when they went to the shop area, the company felt it was best to just leave them be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their reasoning was they didn't feel they had anyone qualified to answer questions on the chemistry. So they let the OSHA person correct just mill around in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. They oh. did. They didn't invite me to come over and hang out with them, right? Um, or do anything. And so what it led to was OSHA sees over three hundred chemicals in this shop, twenty thousand square foot shop. And when I say <coughs> chemicals, um, paints, solvents. Mm-hmm resins, epoxies, uh, epoxy hardeners, mm-hmm. glues, lubricants, all of these things. Uh, chemicals of interest, as we used to refer chemicals to them in the business. Chemicals of so. interest. <laughs> right. And then there was a number of things that, you know, may or may not be articles under OSHA. So they also were seeing a lot of stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this company does countertops. Mm-hmm. And, of course, these were milled, sanded, right. cut. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, these guys weren't thinking about them as being in their SDS book because they just thought they had an article. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I, I try to explain to my clients that's that's not always correct, and I, I've seen some things from it. Right. But anyway, the, the end result in this was when we got to the abatement phase of, of all of their citations, um, OSHA gave us, a, a I guess, a... Uh, an abatement piece that I hadn't seen before. But what it was was they felt that there was an exposure to chemicals in the workplace there that could put isocyanates into a person's blood. Okay. And certain mixes of chemicals give off isocyanates. Our body deposits those in fat. They stay there, Mm -hmm. make you sick, Mm -hmm. cause cancer. So they gave me a list and said, you need to prove to us these aren't present. And I realized they got there by looking at, you know, this chemical, this chemical, this chemical. And when those were mixed, how was it done? How was it controlled? You know, did see a fume hood in there. These guys were in respirators. All these kind of chemical uh, questions come up with. It. So as I got out there and started working with their shop people, I found out they didn't have this exposure because they didn't mix those chemicals. Mm-hmm. This was just a, a blanket kind of a situation where OSHA saw it. Sure. Said if you mix one and one and two, it will equal four and there will be isocyanates. But as it was, one and one were never mixed together. Gotcha. One and five were mixed together. Gotcha. Two and four were mixed together. And those but OSHA didn't know that, right? I correct. Mean, no one had accompanied them. No one had explained that. Right, to them. right. And I, I had to explain to this company, we're going to spend six $8,000 on additional testing here to prove it. I, I can go back and still explain it, but... Because we didn't do this ahead of time, it's now part of the abatement order, and we're still going to have to run these tests, you know. And I'm still going to have to have the time to make the collections, and and we're going to be doing it to prove that it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But we already know it doesn't happen. It would have been easier to do that the day they were here, right, no doubt. 
And, yeah. you know, part of this comes from how you segregate chemicals, how you store chemicals, mm-hmm. having your safety guy go with them on the walkthrough, calling your consultant if that's what you needed to do. Uh, but, but the reason that this become the question was we left OSHA to look at these things with no explanation, mm-hmm. and they didn't know. Right. They don't. And so... You know, kind of a costly deal for these guys yeah. to learn about this. Th- that's a good point, man, because the OSHA folks typically uh, are safety and health generalists. They know a lot about the regulations, and they know a little something about a number of different industries, but they are rarely not. I mean, there are experts, but they are rarely experts in your work activities. It's, it's amazing to me that people, they, they, they literally think that, uh, you know, OSHA's got like 25 years experience in my industry. Yeah, in every industry that they encounter. Yeah, you know, the, the guy that's coming to my plant's actually the guy that worked in a fiberglass factory. Or, <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, built buildings, whatever that it is. That is rarely, rarely, rarely the, case. the case. Rarely you the know, case. Maybe someone has some construction experience or maybe somebody worked in a factory at one point. Um, but, gosh, I can remember as a compliance officer – in Nebraska, I, I could be in a meatpacking plant on Monday, foundry on Tuesday, nursing home on Wednesday, um, some other metal fabrication Thursday. I mean, I mean, yeah. And uh, you just could not be an expert in all of the. I needed an explanation from someone at every yes. location, and and the better that explanation was at integrating the safety component to the process the less interested I was. I mean, I, you know, you can just keep moving, right? I mean, if they can discuss that knowledgeably, that, that just helps so much. I, uh, another thing that I always caution people is, so OSHA showed up, you are accompanying them, and as OSHA asks questions, feel free to give an explanation. If the question is, how do you do this? Feel free to give that explanation, um, but let's not start demonstrating it. Mm-hmm. Um had a situation with a company here a couple of years ago that uh, had a place where a guy was uh, adding oil to a gearbox. And they checked this gearbox um, once a week. And originally, how it was designed 10 years back, uh, oil was added and and bearings were were oiled and everything. And they had an oil can with about a three-foot wand on it. Mm -hmm. Well, over time, that had gotten damaged. Of course, hadn't been replaced. Sure. And what it ended up was we were pouring oil on a chain. We were pouring oil to gearbox. We were doing this all manually. And to do it, guy was stepping up, standing on top of a transformer. Mm-hmm. Now, it was easy to see when we got to this place. The transformer lid is bent in. Obviously, somebody has been standing on it. Mm-hmm. You could kind of tell that the oil was kind of everywhere, so... Um, and the question was just asked because the complaint was about exposure to unguarded chains and, and drives. And uh, the guy, the question was asked, how do you do this? And the maintenance manager decided to go ahead and show them. Mm-hmm. And actually know, got up on the uh, got up on the transformer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they obviously saw that this was the exposure that they thought it was. Right. Um, where I think had we just explained it, not had to show them. It wouldn't have been quite so dramatic, right? perhaps. Uh, this could have been a better outcome. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, be 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 helpful, but be brief. Yeah, uh, that's good. Less is more. Right. And uh, right. we don't need to demonstrate. And we don't make work. I'm, I'm. I can remember on a number of occasions, uh, probably inappropriately. And I again, I, I this is a fine line for me. I'm straddling a fine line here, but. There, there have been occasions where a hypothetical uh, industrial hygienist for OSHA would ask a company to put some work together so I can sample something, okay? Uh, you may spend 20 minutes a month performing a, let's just say hypothetically, welding on stainless or something. There you go. And, um, but now I want to be able to come back next week and get four hours worth of sampling on you welding on stainless. Well, we, we never have the occasion to do four hours of sampling on stainless, but the compliance officer is instructing me to do something. And so in good faith, I do that. And now they've measured an overexposure to hex chrome. And I'm, I'm in tr- I mean, uh, this was re- recounted to me after the fact. And I was like, this is, this is absolutely inappropriate. 
For one thing, OSHA should never be requesting that. That's an inappropriate request, in my opinion. And then, you know, a, a more educated employer would understand that that would be something that they, they wouldn't want to do because it's not representative of what their work is. Correct. So I, I was really disappointed, first of all, to hear that that request was made because I think it's absolutely inappropriate and that they complied with it and then got cited. And, you know, as you know, like, I, you know, once this citation has been issued, man, now the whole process becomes much more difficult. You know, we need, we need to make sure that we prevent that before issuance through some kind of education or whatever of that compliance officer so they understand. Correct. Because that's that's tough after, and that that was what happened with this client of mine. So, so we had a we had a situation with a client where they had an employee that basically went rogue on them. Um, he was attempting to finish up a project that he had told the bosses what was completed. Uh, he went in on a weekend to a plant uh, and basically blew himself up. He, oh, yeah. He literally dumped acetone on the floor and plugged in an electric sander. Oh, geez. Yeah. And uh, so a couple, three things resulted out of this, a number of citations and 50,000 in fines. But when we got to abatement, they gave us this abatement that included this chemistry that I was mm-hmm. telling you about. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to prove that you're not putting people, you know, in danger with isocyanates. And there was, a, a, just like what I was telling you there, I just had to go back and tell them, I'll, I'll be glad to provide the sampling mm-hmm. with the sampling we're going to do. We will run that test for isocyanates. We agreed to do that. But we don't mix these chemicals right. that will produce it, nor will we. Right. You know, and, and, and this would have been easier for me to do and control that abatement if I would have understood that up front. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that was what we ran into. Mm, that's interesting. Um, man, we could, we could go on and on about this. This is really, we probably have to have another session to talk about this. I know there's one more topic we want to get to, but just to summarize, um, when you're responding to OSHA, uh, an inquiry from OSHA, I mean, we need to be cautious about our language. Certainly we need to be cautious about capturing something in a photograph that we didn't intend. I mean, you know, as I'm taking this picture to try to show you what a great job I've done here you know, over there is another issue, and we don't, we don't want to do that, so be really cautious about that. And then time frames. We didn't speak a lot about time frames, but there are specific time frames for responding to OSHA, notifying OSHA or responding. And when in doubt, you need to either contact OSHA if, if you're okay with that and clarify that or speak to someone who has experience with this to make sure that you are understanding and complying with these time frames because right. that can be an issue as well. So, hey, man, so um, I know we talked a little bit. About, so I'm speaking with Mark McClure, OSC Safety out of Des Moines. Um, you guys are, you you have a pet project that you're working on that I yeah. find really interesting, man. Um, and we've talked about this many times, yeah. but you're working on a training academy. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. So so where we're at, Fletch, is, um, and, and you know kind of where this comes from, I I in my past life here, I've, I've had people on site construction where, uh, you know, I was the client, of course, like with Procter and Gamble. Uh, I was actually the contractor in, in, a, in a lot of cases. Uh, and then as I worked as a safety for, for a contractor, I, I hired a number of site safety mm-hmm. people. And, and what, what I run into out there is, uh, um, is we supply site safety people Everybody wants my A guy. And right. my A guy, your top guy. Yeah, he's got 10 years experience. Uh, he, he's got a CHST or CSP back of his name. Uh, he's capable of running the site and, you know, providing training and, and you know, first class type service. Uh, but I'm also paying this guy, you know, he, he's earning $50, $60, $70 an hour in wages plus a per diem. Mm-hmm. And then I have the benefit package and, of course, have to make a little bit of money. So we're charging in the neighborhood of $125, $135 an hour for a person like this. Right. Well, that's who... Which is the right number. It is. It's, it's, it's you know, and, and it's, you know, people, people make this kind of money. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. Um, the problem is, is that's not who got bid in the job. Mm-hmm. My, the safety guy won't seem the... Superintendent wants him, but unfortunately, 
when the PMs were putting the money towards this project and estimators, um, they bid that for a for a $60 an hour position. Mm-hmm. Okay, for, for $60, I'll give you a guy, and since he signed in to take an OSHA 10-hour, I'm going to tell you that he was awake when he signed the paper. Right. And that's my only guarantee. Right. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as you can. That's, that's what I can tell you about his safety knowledge. And that's what you're going to get when you... He was present during a 10-hour class. Correct whether he was awake, whether he was on his phone talking to his girlfriend, whatever. That I can't promise you. But this is what you're going to get. So this is where it starts, and we go from there, and there's nothing in between those two. Mm -hmm. And I'll just tell you today, uh, I get get 10 to 15 calls a week for people. Looking. Looking to hire, looking to fill positions. Uh, Again, we have people... You know, literally on both coasts, Richmond, Virginia, um, Ohio, Texas, Missouri, Utah, California, Washington. We've got people all over. And the demand can't be met. No. Right? No. I mean. And, and we, we need something that helps companies identify, take, take something to the next level. So what we're looking to do is we're looking to create an academy that will turn out people uh, with what's called a, an accreditation. It's through the uh, NCCER, the National uh, Center for Construction, Education, and Research. Mm-hmm. They are the people that help supply the accreditations for, for a lot of the different crafts, everything from cranes and rigging to carpentry and plumbing and electrical. Uh, they have a, a big presence with the Associated Building and Contractors across oh, the yeah. United States. And so this is a, this is a safety-accredited class, uh, it does not involve you having to have any college background or anything like this that you get into up at the at the top end of the scale. Mm-hmm. This isn't the lowest classification out there or accreditation out there. Uh, there is a couple that are lower than this. It is one that is nationally accepted uh, right now. It's it's big in the refineries. Mm-hmm. If you are in the Gulf area, the Gulf region of the U.S., if you are in California, Richmond, or or the Torrance, California area. Um, big, big on the East Coast again, where there's refineries. The refineries are requiring this to be a minimum standard for a safety person on site. We're looking to be able to provide that. It's an approximately 120 hour class. We're looking to do some things with this, Fletch, to to put, I guess, some more meat back of it and and offer a little bit better service both to our student and to our end customer. So mm-hmm. so we're going to provide some other things and, and we're going to bring in some very experienced people. To help teach, uh, we're, we're going to add, add some classes around presentation, mm-hmm. uh, around how to fix build a PowerPoint, right. around a little bit of public speaking, mm-hmm. having to stand up oh, very good. in front of some people and talk. Yeah. You're going to be on site doing training to these guys? Yeah, you know, you're, you're always going to be expected to be the guy helping lead or leading right. a toolbox talk or a mm-hmm. discussion, and, and, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what safety people do, and this is what our future is, and... The construction business is just moving. Um, we hope in time to have other offerings. We we have looked at some things. We we are looking to probably start offering uh, um, some certification and accreditation in rigging, uh, probably in some of the smaller cranes, uh, looking more at the service truck cranes. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we'd love to, of course, get a 200-ton Manawalk in the mm-hmm. Parking lot for Mark to play with, but <laughs> right. that one's a little out of the budget right. at the moment. One step at a time. Yeah, yeah. And then we're, we're looking to partner with some of the people out there, um, 3M, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people like this, Guardian, uh, where we can do some stuff with some fall protection, uh, looking to do some stuff with some, some confined space. Mm-hmm. Uh, every person on a safety site, we, we see four things that, that everybody wants. They want that safety person to be able to, you know, help train with aerial lift, scissor lift. Right. Uh, usually like the lull forklift. Know something about confined space and help with a fall protection plan. Mm-hmm. If we can help prepare people for that, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, then we can move down the list. I mean, then there's that trenching and excavation piece that right. some people are going to have to have. Right. So, so, you know, we'll be able to do that, add some things with it. Um, I'm really excited. This has been a This has been a dream that I've had for, Going back about seven years, how I would uh, put something like this together. I'm very fortunate. I got some partners that are involved with this, and uh, I think we've got a great vision. 
We've established a name. Uh, it's the All-American Safety Academy. We have established a position. At this time, we're going to, to do a uh, class physically here in, in the Des Moines area in the first quarter of 2020. Nice. nice. Um, awesome. We're, we're working to identify and reach that, that student that we want to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working some stuff with some, some different areas as far as trade shows and some mm-hmm. things like this feel this is a great spot for somebody, uh, you know, a young person that maybe is uh, um, separating from the military. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the military background lends itself well with construction, understanding mm-hmm. that chain of command, the discipline piece, uh, you know, the rigorous mm-hmm. attention to detail and Absolutely. standards. Oh, uh, no doubt. The time piece. Yeah, and as we, we talked about, there are a lot of guys that are uh, 9-11 guys yeah. that are going to be – Completing their twenty, so, so coming some, out looking for something to do. Something that I, I I gotta say. So this guy brought this up to me, and it's like you just want to sit there and just you know plunk your head and go, well, duh. So I actually was talking with a group about this, uh, a group with the ASSP, and uh, this guy raises his hand and he asked me, he says, "You got a strategy for you know talking to this this uh, upcoming surge of separations due to 9-11. and. Mm-hmm. So a number of people, of course, joined our military, and, and thank you very much for doing that, those that did. Um, 9-11 in 2001 up to about 2005, 2006, those guys that are now completing 20 years yeah. and are going to be separated from the military, they're, they're still you know in that 36, 38 to 45, 48 years old, perfect for a second career, yeah, perfect. Um, you know, coming out with some, some things and wanting something to do. This is something that we're, we're hoping that, that this accreditation of what our class will do to you would be, you know, we're, we've done our surveying and we're saying a 10 to 15% bump in salary mm-hmm. is attainable with this mm-hmm. over not having it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hope that's enough to make a difference to look for the investment mm-hmm. for the time and getting this and then give you an opportunity to go to the next level. We hope to we hope to develop one for the occupational side. We're working on an accreditation uh, with an accreditation uh, organization right now. For that, we're also looking into uh, the possibility of us being able to maybe offer some of the other accreditations out there, uh, being able to help do prep with OHST, oh, nice. CHST yeah. accreditations, uh, certified utility uh, safety professional, the, the CUSP. Yeah. Uh, Seeing where that fits in, oh, nice. I get, I get, you know, <clears throat> storms. These storms, uh, the fires, of course, in California, the the utility line companies that respond to these are over the last five or six years have again. I, I don't get that call for just anyone anymore. They're they're literally almost a hundred percent asking me for somebody with a, you know, the certified utility safety professional, and there's. Few and far between. I mean, CUSP has been around for a while, but it wasn't a big requirement. Now it's almost 100%. And, I, I mean, e- even like me with all my years of experience, i got guys that are like, well, I, I'd take you. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm, I, but I don't really do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, honestly, there just isn't enough of these people there. Oh, no doubt. And, and we've seen that over here in Omaha, these big projects, you know, the, the projects that shall remain nameless <laughs> Uh, the demand for safety site safety guys is tremendous and gals. I don't mean to be, but yeah. you know, tremendous. And there's, I, I'm not sure that need can be filled. We, uh, you know, we need a, we need a pipeline for these. Well, one of the projects that I just, I just walked a project and did uh, some scaffold training here, uh, middle last week over by Des Moines. Um, I had 31 people in the class, 30, nice. 31 site safety professionals for different companies of those 31, only eight held some sort of an accreditation. And chances are each time we go through a phase with, with different companies, they raise the bar, and this is going to be something that in the future I think will become kind of a standard thing. How, how, do, how, how are people going to get more information about this, man? Should they be looking at your website, or where should uh, they be going at this point? We're, we're getting the website up and running here in the next couple of weeks. So right now, here's okay. what we've done. We, we've uh, we've got this to the point where we're working with a marketing company to help us. Okay. Uh, you're going to see our stuff out on Instagram, Facebook. Well, I'm uh, not, but I mean, somebody that did that. Link, LinkedIn. Well, I, <laughs> so so that, that's this is the thing, you know. We're we're on that other side here, here, partner. Yeah, we are. Uh, 
but people don't, you know, we don't email no more. You don't, you don't snail mail this kind of stuff. This is stuff. So many people anymore, um, honestly, one of the companies that we're working with on a project down in Kansas City, the guys that they're hiring, they're hiring guys through Craigslist. These guys aren't posting on Indeed or anything like oh, that. shit. Because these guys have access to Craigslist in such a quicker way. It's a better, quicker response than doing Indeed. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, you, you touched on something here, man. And we're gonna I, we got to wrap this up. We're running out of time, but uh, this whole social media thing—I think it's going to catch on. I, I am the guy <laughs> who didn't believe that computers were going to catch on, so I didn't bother taking yeah. computer yeah. classes. Yeah. Right? You're, you're a little late. It's and, already uh, caught on. I think on. the social media thing is actually going to catch I, on. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, Doug. It, oh it's alive God. and well. So I, my, um, my daughters have moved on to platforms that I don't even I don't well, even know their names. I know, but it but it is the reality, and and I think this new generation of safety people, as you said, not only the safety people themselves, but the consu- the people that are looking for safety people are all of that generation. And so Pat and Jill, the, the good people here at Parkville Media, are helping me with that. But I've never even seen a Facebook page. I, I know I'm linked into hundreds and hundreds of people that I have no idea how to communicate with. So, you know, we are going, we are going to be moving in that direction. I hope to actually one day understand some of that stuff. I will say, though, that not, there, there is nothing that will beat a good conversation. Uh, what, you know, the hour that you've just spent with me, I, I, you know, we do this all the time. Yeah. I think particularly safety people need to have somebody that they can have a conversation with. If you don't know somebody in your community or in your network that you can just call and talk, commiserate with, if nothing else, you need to find that person. Uh, If you can't, call me. I I love to talk about safety or listen, if nothing else. I know there is a place for all the social media. It's a a way to communicate with a a large number of people quickly and, you uh, you know, short, but there's nothing that beats a good conversation, man. So... Th- thank you for you coming in. I hope we get to do this again. Yeah. Oh, let's do it. Next time you're in Omaha, we'll, we'll do it again. And uh, for those of you that are listening, hey, we appreciate what you're doing out there. Mark and I both, uh, we know um, the work that you're doing is important. It is serious work. So keep up the good work. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Mark. A Parkville Media Production. <laughs>